Hello and welcome back to Tabling the Podcast. My name is Ariana Karp and I'm here with a wonderful brand new group of actors that's going to take us on a journey through the induction of Taming of the Shrew. Not act one, but this rare, mysterious, strange thing that is called an induction. Um, what we like to do here at Tabling is go, th- we're on a mission to go through every single one of Shakespeare's plays and hopefully some other plays when that's done. And we read it and we stop and we talk about it. And we, through our conversations, hopefully to steal from our dear guest director, Emma Rosa Wentz, come to a collective interpretation of the play by the end. Um, I encourage all of our participants to think about everything from staging to um, character choices to the different dynamics of relationships, uh, any strange text that jumps out at you and goes, what the fuck is that? And also, what am I saying? Um, We encourage all questions and inquiries. So what I'd like to do now is go around the room and um, if each of you could tell me who you are, um, where you are recording, what roles you are playing, and what is your history slash relationship with this play, um, whatever that entails. So Britt, why don't we start with you? Uh, hello, my name is Brittany Chandler. I am reading from Metairie, Louisiana, which is essentially New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm playing Petruchio. I did a scene from this play in grad school uh, it was Kate. And as far as seeing a production of it in person, I, I haven't. I've, of course, seen the um, the little special with Meryl Streep and Raul, uh, what's his name, which I will say if we're, uh, I don't want to <laughs> get too into it, but I would say that his interpretation of Petruchio, um, I thought was really great. I listened to a BBC radio play, I think of an 80s production um, the other day just to kind of prep and to hear the whole thing out loud because it's a lot easier for me to hear than to read it and the Petruchio there was I did not like it was very sort of um, like I don't know it almost had like a BDSM feel to it and some like very dark music and just I know you can take this play any sort of direction I know there's a lot of controversy about it um, I'm really excited because of that <laughs> Um, because I don't think there's a right or a wrong. And like you had kind of said, um, maybe this was off uh, air, but about Mitchell having made a comment in the previous recording about, you know, you don't have to necessarily save the play. That's, that's a really interesting concept. And I, I think I'm going to kind of keep that in the back of my mind as we move forward here. Thank you so much, Brett. Um, Grayson, please. Yes, uh, Grayson Kirtland in uh, Santa Fe. And I'm uh, reading Grumio and uh, Vincenzo. And I remember, of course, uh, the Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor uh, movie. But more recently, I uh, did a close reading with uh, Carol uh, Farkas's Upstart Crows of this play. So that was quite revealing as well. So thank you, Carol. <laughs> I'm thrilled that you actually just went through a close read of the play. I will be very curious to hear some of the discoveries that all of you made about this play. Um, Let us go to Morgan, please. Hey there, I am Morgan Hollingsworth, uh, talking from San Diego, California, where the weather is great today. Um, Let's see, I am playing Lord 
uh, Bianca and various other characters. And uh, my youth theater, San Diego Junior Theater, um, did a workshop of it years ago and I saw it and um, I enjoyed it. A lot of my friends were involved in it and I, I, I understood immediately why it's controversial. Um, but I haven't really experienced much else of it aside from the very popular Cole Porter musical adaptation. And aside from that, I'm very unfamiliar with this. So I'm excited to, uh, it's also been a while since I've explored any Shakespeare play, it's been a few years. So I'm very excited to dive in again. I was just thinking I should probably like start reading some Shakespeare plays again and get, get reacquainted. And then Ariana called me up. So here we are. Fabulous, wonderful. Um, Allie, please. Hi, my name is Allie Tallman. I am also in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, I'm going to be reading for Lucentio, Second Serving Man, Servant, and Tailor. And uh, I first got to know this play in my Shakespeare class in college. Uh, I performed a scene as Catherine, and uh, my scene partner and I were in a production of The Servant of Two Masters at the time, so we did a very slapstick Commedia dell'arte take on it, uh, which was a deceptively fun introduction. Um, and I've seen it once as a fully staged production um, in 2013 at Hampstead Theater, uh, and they did a all-male production, and the actors who were playing female characters were in drag, um, which was very interesting, and so I'm, I'm particularly interested to see how the playing with gender in this reading is going to affect uh, the show. Wonderful. Me too. <laughs> um, fantastic. Um, Carol, please. Yeah, I'm Carol Farkas. I'm in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I'm playing Baptista, first serving man, third serving man, and widow. And as Grayson said, uh, we recently did a, a close read of this play with Upstart Crows, and now I've got a cast of 11 young people who are going to be performing this at the end of the month. So first we did the close read, then we're doing the play. And I like Brittany, I liked the Kiss Me Petruchio clips from the public theater production, uh, Meryl Streep, Raul Julia, and I like the energy in it. And I like the fact that they were working against the, the, the stereotype of um, Catherine being oppressed. And that's something that really came out in, in the close read that we did, that everything she goes through, Petruchio is also going through. He's also not sleeping. He's also not eating. So um, there's a lot more than meets the eye. Absolutely. And picking up on that thread, uh, something that I, well, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll wait until I get to the end to talk about that. So go ahead, Will. Hi, I'm William Wilder, and I'm recording from Vermont, <clears throat> and I'm playing the characters of Curtis, Gremio, the hostess, Nicholas, and the page. And apparently the third huntsman who doesn't exist, so I'm not sure what's going on with that. But uh, so my uh, experience with the play has been... Uh, I assistant directed a all-female production of it when I was 
in college like 12 years ago maybe uh which was actually like a, a student like summer camp production of it um and then forgot about it and then uh <laughs> it did this a couple of scenes from it in drama school and then did uh the kate petruchio scene out in santa fe uh for that sort of compilation show that we did um where i played petruchio uh and i've also seen the richard burton movie and i also have seen uh some of a movie with John Cleese as Petruchio, which uh, if you haven't seen that, it's definitely worth finding that and taking a look at it because it's quite interesting. He is like from a totally different acting universe style than everybody else in it. And um, so it's kind of, yeah, it's pretty interesting to watch. Uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you, Will. Yeah, and actually that production provoked a lot of brand new ideas about the play for me. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, Myrie, please. Hello, uh, I'm Myrie Chanel, also recording from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, I'll be playing Biondello, is that how I say that? Um, Merchant and Sly. And my experience with the play is mostly that I have a very distinct memory of reading it from this children's version of Shakespeare I had when I was about seven. And the pictures were very distressing because they also looked like children, um, <laughs> which is not appropriate for so many of these plays. Um, and I distinctly remember disliking the ending uh, as like a little seven-year-old. And then I don't really remember much else about the play. I haven't performed in it. I haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so that's all I have is a vague memory from childhood of not liking it. Awesome. <laughs> Um, Zoe, please. Hello, I am Zoe. I'm calling in from New York City right now. I will be playing uh, Hortensio and Nathaniel and the first and second player and the second huntsman. And my main interactions with this play has been in high school. We did Kiss Me Kate and I was in the dance chorus. Really got to know the play. Um, we had a lot of fun with it. And also as a bunch of feminist high schoolers, we're not a huge fan of a lot of the themes in it, but it's been a while since I've engaged with it. Awesome. Um, Koi, please. Uh, hello, my name's Nicholas. I'm played by William Wilder. Um, no, I, um, <laughs> my name's Nicholas Koi Santillo. I'll be uh, reading uh, Bonnie Kate, Catherine, uh, Joseph and some players. Um, I'm sitting right now in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, where um, it's not great weather. So thanks, California. Um, my experience with the plays is really just through school, I suppose. Like I, I did a couple scenes as Petruchio in school. Um, that's when I learned about this induction that we're going to be going through today. I had never heard about that until uh, school forced me to kind of read through that. Um, but I have played um Shakespeare women before I got to play Olivia in the 12th night at Meow Wolf in Santa Fe so there's the connection there and I actually did audition for Kate in New York City years ago uh used her final speech 
um, for a piece that well didn't get, but uh, was able to to examine that piece. And it, it is interesting. Um, I know this is going to be a very different piece than Olivia, but it's it's just very interesting as a as a cis man reading uh, a cis female character in Shakespeare. There's a lot of things that come up that you don't hear. I feel like when when it's a, a woman playing it. Absolutely, there's there's some really interesting. Uh, a part of the reason I actually really wanted Coy to to take on this role was actually I directed him in Twelfth Night. He was my <laughs> lovely Olivia, and I really um, enjoyed the the way in which you access. Um, I hate using the word femininity, but I I really enjoyed the way in which you accessed that character. So I'm really excited to see. Well, I will just say. I'm Ariana. I'm going to be facilitating this. Um, I am. I'm recording from Northern California. Um, I won't say what the weather is like, Koi, just for you. And I played Bianca in one scene um, in in drama school. Uh, and what I really enjoyed was that I was the tallest female in my class, and Kate was played by the shortest female in our class. Um, and there was something about that dynamic that was so unexpected. And I actually really, really enjoyed it. And she scared the hell out of me. So that was, that was really fun. Um, in the last couple months, I've sort of been, I've been so intimidated by this play. I've been watching as many, um, as many sort of versions as I could get my hands on. So I did watch that uh, John Cleese version, which gave me this idea that part of the therapy of Catherine is um, connects to this psychological thing of imitating behavior that um, that he really seemed to play into for me. Like when she would stamp her foot, the the Catherine, and and like throw something, he would sort of watch her, and then a minute later he would stamp his foot and throw something. And there was this interesting like imitated behavior that kept cropping up and I kept noticing it. And I was like, wow, that's kind of, that's kind of weird. And then I was reading about the production and there was a, um, that was apparently one of the sort of guiding principles. I was like, ah, yes, picked up on that. Um, and then I also watched the, the American conservatory theater, the, um, their, I think it's from the seventies, their Commedia dell'arte production of it, which is really slapstick and super, super high octane and very cool. And then I also watched a RSC production that had done a com almost entirely complete gender, gender reversal, um, which was utterly fascinating. So I think Grumio, right, Petruchio's servant, was male um bianca and kate were male and they went by bianca and kate or bianco and kate and it was run in an elizabethan matriarchal society so it was baptisto and it was petruchi or baptiste it was still baptista but and petruchia and hortensia and all of these like very it was like just this dominated uh maternal society and it was it it was really it really provoked a lot of new thoughts about the play so um i'm really excited to sort of 
delve in, but I, in not a single one of those productions, did they include this first induction part? So I'm really, I've never seen the induction performed in any version. So I'm really excited to sort of dig in. Elizabeth, welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much. So Elizabeth, tell us who you are reading for today, but, um, and then also, um, what your history is with this play. Did you see a great production? Have you been in it before? Anything like that? Um, I'm reading for Tranio, correct? And Tranio, yeah. Oh, Tranio. Yeah. So yeah, my, my New York accent, maybe it makes Shakespeare interesting in its own special way. My relationship with this play, I love this play. I've never performed in this play. I know very well Meryl Streep's version of it in Shakespeare in the Park, which is, yeah, one of my favorite moments of her ever seeing her act. Um, I love this play. I'm so excited that you chose this play. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we, that's what we like to hear. Tranio, Tranio, correct? Yes, you've got it. Tranio. Okay. So without any further ado, I say, let's just go right into the read of this. And essentially what we'll do, because the first scene is a little bit lengthy. I think I'm just going to pause at first as Sly falls asleep. And we'll just talk about the very opening because I think it's super important and actually gives us a lot of clues about what we're about to see. So my Christophero or Christopher Sly and hostess, take it away. I'll feed you in faith. A pair of stocks, you rogue. Ye are baggage, the slies are no rogues. Look at the chronicles, we came in with Richard Conqueror. Therefore, Palcus Polybrus let the world slide, Sessa. You will not pay for the glasses you have burst? No, not a denier. Go by, Geronimy, go to thy cold bed and warm thee. I know my remedy. I must go fetch the third borough. Third or fourth or fifth borough, answer him by law. I'll not budge an inch, boy. Let him come and kindly. Okay, so this is like a really weird way to begin a play, right? The first (laughs) line of the play, importantly, and I am totally fully giving uh, Robin Williams uh, ISC Reader's Editions credit for pointing this out. The first line of the play is a man threatening to beat a woman, but he doesn't do it, right? That's important. He threatens to, he does not do it. Um, and this is outside of a tavern, right? And someone is so drunk, they're having delusions of grandeur. And this idea of Richard Conquerors, the combination of Richard the Lionheart and William the Conqueror, right? So it's just like (laughs) all of the things, like my family is the whole royal, you know, I just imagine he falls into like a barrel of waste water or something at the end of this um 100 yeah but like so any any thoughts uh just on this it's a very weird opening for any play and for a shakespeare play particularly i can't think of another one that starts like this um there's a lot of weird words in this first scene as well like uh thoroughborough third borough or whatever and um like when uh, I, w- I read this and I had to look at the notes a lot. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Third, third 
borough here, meaning a, um, an officer of the peace of the of the township. And the borough is just the town, you know, like uh, the boroughs in New York. It's like a town. Um, and then the other weird one. So St. Jeronimy or Jerome was the saint who taught women how to live their lives in a self-disciplined manner, which is like, wait a second, <laughs> like, wait, already? Like, we're already just getting all of this stuff thrown at us. That's, um, yeah, I don't know. And so then, my Sessa, question yeah, go ahead, Britt. I was just thinking about if this is the start of the play and we've got all this information and some of it very important, it's kind of interesting because haven't I've heard before, you know, that a lot of the very beginning of it is just to like, okay, shut up, everybody. Shut up, yeah. all the groundlings. Shut up, shut up. Listen, listen. So for them to kind of just like hit the ground running with interesting information, it's risky. That's yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why there's the induction, like that they expect that it will take the length of the induction to get the audience to shut up <laughs> somewhat. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, what are, what are your thoughts about Christopher Sly, Myrie? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Stratford had a yeah. really cool version of this where <laughs> Christopher Sly, the actor playing Sly, was in the audience. And he just looked like, you know, the yeah. slightly drunk guy from Ontario. Yeah. Oh, that's so fun. Can I, can I talk about this? It has the feeling oh. of a show that starts like that. Yeah. Like completely, yeah. Like a Who bit of meta theatricalness going on, some breaking of fourth walls. Can we ask questions like, "Who is? Who are they? Yeah. Like, who is the hostess? Where are they? Like, we said that they're in a tavern, but who is Sly? I don't know. I don't know anything about about him. <laughs> he he's got the vibe of like the the regular like just uh the regular drunk, the town drunk kind of thing. Barfly. Yeah, definitely has that barfly feel. In the folio, the character is written as beggar. Um, so I think that's also important, right? There's a little bit, um, I can, I'm going to just go full on nerd here for a second. Um, there's a little bit of the carnival, right? Of the, the up is down here, that the Lord will pretend to be a beggar and the beggar is going to pretend or be deluded into thinking that he's a Lord. There's a little bit of that upside down world that's going to happen in these first couple scenes. Um, but yeah, there's, there is a lot of really, really tricky language and, and we start in prose, right? We we're, we're not starting in verse. So that, that is, um, and then he falls asleep. It's like in the text as a stage direction, here's this guy <laughs> and then falls asleep. Um, I mean, if it was a film, I would see like just that really stupid slapstick moment of where they just like, <laughs> Yeah. like <laughs> face, face in a mud puddle <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the whole I, screen ripples yeah yeah <laughs> I think absolutely the very first line is is a man threatening to beat a woman yeah. yeah yeah i was i was i was bringing that up from from robin's uh yeah. from robin's thing it's it's like that is really important right um and thinking of i actually this may be a just jumping like five steps ahead, but I actually think in a certain way we that we can see Christopher Sly as a stand-in for Catherine in this kind of strange way. Um, that's something about her being tricked by a lot of different situations and being sort of almost deluded into thinking something about herself 
that perhaps she didn't before. Um, I feel like we get some of those vibes throughout. Yeah, go ahead, Koi. I just, I think it's great that there's no new ideas in theater. I would have never expected Shakespeare to start with like, there's a plant in the audience kind of thing. And oh, who's that drunkard? Wait, it's part of the show. And, yeah. And it's 400 years old or whatever. It's just, it's just nice. It's nice. We don't have to try to come up with anything new. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I guess what's interesting to me, if you try to compare the two characters is that one could argue that by the end, you know, Kate is a better version of herself, or at least, you know, Oh, that's a, I know, big thing to unpack. Better <laughs> able to exist in society, whatever it is, it's supposed to have seen, you know, some sort of progress. Um, Christopher Sly here, I don't, I don't know if he has a big, um, you know, uh, arc. Yes, or indeed. Or <laughs> <laughs> and we're also obviously like, we're not going to get to know Christopher or Christopher Sly very much either. Um, but it is, it is like a, I don't know. I just want to sort of, Put that thought in your head as we go through the rest of this first induction scene. Can um, I ask? Yeah, I ask please. What, what a pair of socks means. The response to the response to I'll feed you in faith. Oh, a pair of stocks. Um, so stocks were used to punish people for misdoing in King Lear. Uh, Kent is put in the stocks for insulting someone. And it's basically like if you've ever <laughs> been at like a renaissance fair or medieval something or rather it's like there's a hole for your head and two holes for your hands or you would sit with your legs in the stock so you just have to sit there and usually like people would throw rotten fruit at you um and it's like a public humiliation tool that was used during medieval times um, and a pair <laughs> yes so. and a pair yeah like two like you're gonna have the hands yeah. and the feet and your head in the, in the stocks. Well, maybe okay. it's like pants. Like yeah. A pair of, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty strong retort now. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. She's going to turn him in, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, that's, seems yeah. Very unconcerned at the threat of violence. Yeah, it does not yes. seem worried. That is, that Ooh, is important too. Mm -hmm. That is important too. Thank you for, thank you for flagging that. Um, so then horns winded, which is maybe my favorite um, way of describing how you would play a horn. Um, and then enter a lord from hunting with his train. To be fair, I, I would be winded after playing a horn as well. <laughs> choo choo, in, in you come with your train. <laughs> Huntsman, I charge thee tender well, my hounds. Bratch Merriman, the poor cur is embossed, and couple clatter with the deep-mouthed Bratch. Sawst thou not, boy, how silver made it good at the hedge corner in the coldest fault? I would not lose the dog for twenty pound. Why, Bellman is as good as he, my lord. He cried upon it at the merest loss, and twice today picked out the dullest scent. Trust me, I take him for the better dog. Oh, what a fool. If Echo were as fleet, I would esteem him worth a dozen such. But sup them well and look unto them all. Tomorrow I intend to hunt again. I will, my lord. What's here? One dead or drunk? See, doth he breathe? As we're at this spot, Ariana, I just want to note what we, what we wound up doing um, with this speech is we took um, the lines from the Lord, O monstrous beast, tell like a swiney lies, grim death, and um put it underneath 
See doth he breathe. And so those first two lines of the Lord's next speech were like his reaction to the body. And then the husband to the breathes and then he's like, aha. <laughs> so it just, it was in staging it. Um, the way, the way it is in the text is awkward. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me, actually. Um, I mean, interesting. Yeah, and that kind of gave time for the second huntsman to go check the body. <laughs> check the body, make sure it's, it's alive. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's, I mean, well, let's. No, let's, no, just, this was just. Um, I could say the line again with that. Yeah, let's go from what's here, one dead or drunk. Let's let's try that and see see how it goes. Yeah. What's here? One dead or drunk? And cars, apparently. See, doth he, see, doth he breathe? Oh, monstrous beast, how like a swine he lies. Grim death, how foul and loathsome is thine image. He breathes, my lord. Were he not warmed with ale, this were a bed. Cold to sleep so soundly. Sirs, I will practice on this drunken man. What think you? If, we were, if he were conveyed to bed, wrapped in sweet clothes... Rings put on his fingers, a most delicious banquet by his bed, and brave attendants near him when he wakes. Would not the beggar then forget himself? Believe me, Lord, I think he cannot choose. It would seem strange unto him when he waked. Even as a flattering dream or worthless fancy. Then take him up and manage well the jest. Carry him gently to my fairest chamber. And hang it around, hang it round with all my wanton pictures. Bomb his foul head in warm distilled waters, and burn sweet wood to make the lodging sweet. Uh, procure me music ready when he wakes to make a dulcet and a heavenly sound. And if he chance to speak, be ready straight and uh, with a low, submissive reverence. Say, what is it your honor will command? Let one attend him with a silver basin full of rose water and bestrewed with flowers. Another bear the ewer, the third a diaper, and say, Will it please your lordship cool your hands? Someone will, would someone be ready with a costly suit and ask him what apparel he will wear. Another, another tell him of his hounds and horse and that his lady mourns at his disease. Persuade him that he hath been a lunatic and when he, say, and when he says he is, Say that he dreams, for he is nothing but a mighty lord. This do, and do it kindly, gentle sirs. It will be past time passing excellent, if it be husbanded with modesty. My lord, I warrant you we will play our part, as he shall think by our true diligence he is no less than what we say, say he is. Take him up gently, and to bed with him, and each one to his office when he wakes. Okay, let's just pause here for a second. So in comes this Lord, right? <laughs> Who's this guy? Um, and he's apparently got like a whole flock. That's not the right, a pack. <laughs> I don't think you can have a flock of dogs. A pack of dogs who are coming in. And um, I think just a, a word thing that, that they're pronounced bratch. There's like a, there's a silent T there um and it just means oh, was i saying brack brach. Ah, brach. yeah <laughs> brach. yeah brach. still said it wrong um and then 20 pound 
Uh, I'm just going off of this, uh, all of the notes from the ISC readers edition here, 20 pounds is close to, would have been close to about eight grand us today. So that 20 pounds during this time period is a huge amount of money. Um, what do we make, uh, Lord and first huntsman of this, this, this first interaction about betting on dogs this produced a huge conversation in our rehearsal process because we talk a lot about the great chain of being and you know the the lord is above the servants and and so just looking at this dialogue the actors playing the huntsman were like well he's treating them like his his posse his bros and they're sort of all in on the way he is and the, and the way he rolls so um what really what is this relationship why why is he acting so familiarly mm -hmm. with these guys and why why is this sort of interaction permitted mm -hmm. well and i think it's important right that we've got our huntsmen who potentially are other lords you know they 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 perhaps are could be of an equal social standing um as the lord uh, but then we have specifically serving men, right, who come in later. So these are not necessarily, these could be a, I don't know, just, just put that in the room. Yeah, but. yeah, we were, we were talking about, you know, are they, are they equals or are these, is this the man that takes care of his pack? Um, mm, and mm -hmm. we weren't sure about what those, what the people standing were. But it's, as, as we go along, you're going to see that, that the servants also, this must be an interesting house to work in. <laughs> yeah they just kidnap people like, yeah <laughs> thank you for pointing chill. that out myrie like they're just like <laughs> taking people from where they are and putting them in a different spot without their knowledge just a cute fun little hobby yeah, yeah just a pastime casual there's a black but really why like really what like I guess I don't really know what they want to do. I don't really understand. Yeah. Well, and where does this idea come from, right? Morgan, do you have some sense like going through that big speech? It's so detailed. Like, what are you do? What are you going to do with this guy? And like, where did this idea come from? In typical Shakespeare fashion, I'm imagining the Lord has some sort of like idea of like, play this on as, as much as possible until they get tired of it and then just kick him out. Mm. But, but it's the it's the waking up a drunk a drunk man and, and the deliriousness that he may be and then just pretending he's in this fantastic dream world and how funny is that to like to like play this prank on someone I, I was just thinking like this seems um consistent with a lot of other shakespearean pranks i think of malvolio or um yeah uh, yeah playing on the other one there, there are other pranks in, in in shakespeare that this reminds me of yeah, de like delusions of grandeur for sure. And I thank you for bringing up Malvolio. I think that's a really that's a really important thing. And Grayson here is playing Malvolio currently, <laughs> so this is wonderful. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I guess the thing that um, the thing that kind of trips me up as we were going through this was just the level of detail about all of these different things to do carry him gently like like put put up my best art <laughs> like 
This oh, like put up my best erotic art. Very important, right? Put up the porn on the walls in the thing. Like, it's like. So yeah, art. totally. In some way, in some way, in some way, they're all kind of like, whatever. This isn't probably correct, but they're all kind of like feminine delights. Like mm. maybe not, but like warm distilled waters, sweet wood, heavenly sound, rose water, flowers. Yeah. Costume suit, like. There's no. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and, and all of these things are are associated with good living, right? Just that it's you're you are being taken a, a delicate care is being taken of you and your body. And I think, no, though, he's I, not saying. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Will. Just I was. I think there is a sort of element of like masculine feminine play here thematically, though, because you have this you know, behavior by this pack of young athletic men where, you know, they come in and it's this very kind of like bro-y, you know, oh, we're, we're, we just got out of the gym and like, oh, let's just play some incredibly obnoxious prank on somebody because we're just having such a good time being bros, right? Like there's this vibe, this kind of like hyper-masculine uh, camaraderie thing that they have like, oh, let's just totally be complete douchebags to this poor guy just because we can and we're like bro right and so i think that does feed into the like theme of the play and to some degree of like that that masculine uh sort of locker room yeah big frat boy energy yeah and it's especially interesting to me with what you were saying ari about um sly kind of being in a, a stand-in for kate because these guys go straight from hunting animals to hunting him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a really crazy Black Mirror episode, and I'm not a huge watcher of it, but there's an episode where where someone's using like a VR life, and then in the VR life, they're told that it's the real life and that the real life is VR, and they kind of the whole the whole conflict is whether which one is real, and. Mm. I just got weird shades of that with this, this, the Lord saying, you know, we're going to dress them up and make every, all the servants are going to do this, like make them believe it. And that's, yeah, from the perspective of Sly, that's terrifying to not know whether you're, you've been insane and you're actually, is this your real life or what's going on? It's yeah, scary. Well, and Corey, doesn't that also raise the question of like, isn't like everything that they're doing is, is a social construct of, of Lordship and, to some degree, I think it's like pointing out that all human beings are are equal, like we're all human beings. And it's only how people act around us that like defines this idea of whether you're a beggar or whether you're a lord. And so like you're saying like, what's real? I mean, to I... slide along with it, because it's like, well, if everyone if everyone's acting like this, it must be so right. And that's how society works. Yeah. I would do a tiny slight just because I think that's that's a great point. Well, I would do a tiny thing, which I think also is really useful uh, in directing or in acting when you're talking about status is that it's really the difference is how people treat you, right? It's not mm-hmm. so much like how you act, but it's ha- what how society treats you will make all the difference in the world between a good life and uh, yeah, life exactly. that is yeah. difficult. And so it's like they are in this really interesting way giving Christopher Sly the beggar status because of the way in which they're they're going to be treating him, which is like a little bit of a 
of a craziness. And I just want us to keep this in mind for when we get to some of the interactions with, with Kate and Petruchio. And um, particularly right now, I'm just thinking about the scene with the tailor and the haberdasher um, about like, this isn't good enough for my wife, right? Is, is in the process of like, deconstructing all of this craftsmanship the core argument that petruchio uses in that is this is not good enough for my wife you haven't treated my wife well enough with your design <laughs> um which is kind of a little bit weird and 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 different and if you thought we were meta theatrical let's just wait until suddenly we have actors on stage right shakespeare this is i <laughs> what i've i've noticed in the uh in these early plays, this came up a lot with uh, our discussion of Two Gentlemen of Verona. Um, there, it, it seems like in this, uh, we were, uh, <laughs> for those of you who know, Sam Gilroy was was playing Valentine in, in Two Gentlemen of Verona. And he pointed out, he really is enjoying getting into the juvenilia, right, of Shakespeare, right? Thinking about a very young writer writing these plays, because these are some of the earliest plays. And the, the, just noticing where there are these little seeds of ideas that are sort of planted in these plays that are gonna be developed, I would argue, with a lot more skill in later plays, right? Um, uh, the way in which characters talk to the audience, you see the development of the soliloquy and the development of this, the breaking of the fourth wall. Um, you also see things like um, stereotypes, female characters, right? In all of these plays, there are two central women who are sort of there's the this is the sort of most almost archetypal divide of them which is one is a shrew and the other is a virgin on a pedestal right um and you kind of get this uh to a certain extent with the comedy of errors with adriana and luciana and you get this to a certain extent but in a very much more complicated way with two gents with um julia and sylvia but they're both of them have inverted this. It's our, it's like already, it's like, this is actually not a realistic way to write women and something is already changing. Um, so it's, it's just really, it's been, it's really interesting to sort of, here we have a play within a play, right? We're now, we're in the play and then the rest of the play is going to be a play within a play. And then if we think about the way that Shakespeare develops this idea of the audience watching people watching a play to the extent and with the mastery that he does in Hamlet, for example, there's just a really interesting sort of development of these themes and situations that keep getting built and, uh, and developed over as the author becomes a little bit more mature and gets more experience. Um, so shall we, uh, oh, Koi, did you have something? I just uh, you you brought up Hamlet. I just I just pictured Hamlet starting in a first draft as a play within a play, and they kind of said, "Could you cut it down a bit?" The first time you did it wasn't that, and it ends up being just a bit of a scene. Yes, exactly. <laughs> play in a play. Play in a play. Play in a play. Um, <laughs> so this is fun for me because I like to think in my you know little historical Shakespeare nerd hat that this must have been kind of how Shakespeare may have uh, first encountered um, actors, right? As traveling players that would come into the town, get set up, the mayor would welcome them. They would get, they would basically, the agreement was like they would be given food and shelter. <laughs> 
if they performed, right? But they were also thought of as vagrants. So it's interesting to me also that we had our drunk beggar, Christopher Sly, who's been treating what one way and under the law, the actors were also pretty much no better than vagrants, right? They Unless they were attached to a company that had a patron. So here we have some vagranty actors, only the best kind, um, who are in search of a patron for the evening. Um, yeah, Grayson. Well, I find it interesting that once the Lord and we have the huntsman, we're suddenly in verse. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Lord, you know, that's a nice long, it's not it's not elevated, but I mean, there's some nice stuff. And burn sweet wood to make the lodging sweet. There's <laughs> a really nice musical quality to it, I think. Absolutely. We've, we've totally switched realms, haven't we? We've, we've not only switched from prose to verse, but we've gone from like, ah, hang you, I'm going to beat you in stocks to like beautiful silver basins and little rose water and like... Diaper here does not mean like a diaper you would put on a baby, by the way. Diaper means like a very fancy towel. So sort of, I guess, what you would put on a baby. Maybe. <laughs> and ewer, I don't actually know. Is it ewer? Ewer? It's a ewer. A ewer is like a, a would be a pitcher here. So the, the, the whole washing fun thing. So someone's like cutting down a tree outside my window. So I do apologize for that. Um, let's move on. They have now effectively kidnapped slash carried off, depending on where, where we're going with this, carried off Christopher Sly. There are some trumpets that sound and uh, we need to find out what is this noise? Who is approaching? So Morgan, whenever you're ready. Sarah, I'll go see what trumpet does that sounds. Be like some noble gentleman that means uh, traveling some journey to repose him here. How now, who is it? And please, your honor, players that offer service to your lordship. Bid them come near. Now, fellows, you are welcome. We thank your honor. Do you intend to stay with me tonight? So please, your lordship, to accept our duty. With all my heart. This fellow, I remember, since once he played a farmer's eldest son, t'was where you wooed the gentlewoman so well. Uh, I have forgotten your name, but, but sure, that part was aptly fitted and naturally performed. I think t'was Soto that your honor means. Mm, tis very true. Thou didst it excellent. Well, you are come to me in a happy time, the rather for I have some sport in hand, wherein your cunning can assist me much. There is a, a lord will hear you play tonight, but I am doubtful of your modesties, lest over-eyeing of his odd behavior, for yet his honor never heard a play, you break into some merry passion and so offend him. For I tell you, sirs, if you should smile, he grows impatient. Fear not, my lord, we can contain ourselves, were he the veriest antic in the world. Go, Sirrah, take them to the buttery and give them friendly welcome, everyone. Let them want nothing that my house affords. Sirrah, go, go you to Bartholomew, my page, and see him dressed in all suits like a lady. That done, conduct him to be the drunkard's chamber and call him Madam. Do him obeisance. Tell him from me, as he will win my love, he bears himself with honorable action, such as he hath observed in noble ladies unto the lords by them accomplished. accomplished. 
Such duty to the drunkard let him do with soft, low tongue and lowly courtesy, and say, What is your honor will command, wherein your lady and your humble wife may show her duty and make known her love? And then with kind embracements, tempting kisses, and with declining head into his bosom, bid him shed tears, as being overjoyed to see her noble lord restored to health, who for the seven years hath esteemed him no better than a poor and loathsome beggar. And uh, if the boy have not a woman's gift to rain a shower of commanded tears, uh, an onion will do well for such a shift which in a napkin being close conveyed shall in despite enforce a watery eye see this dispatched with all the haste thou canst anon i'll give thee more instructions amazing um so i do get the feeling based on this lord and also the advice that hamlet gives to the players that these lords are just like really wannabe directors that are really seriously seriously have some control issues like like there is just like a lot of specifics here there's a couple line readings that are being given i'm not sure i'm not sure this seems like really prescriptive to me <laughs> um but what what are your thoughts morgan yeah. on on the lord and like who 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 this guy is and his obsession with this prank <laughs> it's just the, the amount of detail he has it's, it's like he has been thinking of doing something like this before and just never really like committed to it and then suddenly this opportunity he just stumbles upon this opportunity is like this is my chance and he just like goes to town with it basically it kind of reminds you of, of hamlet's thing with the players yeah, yeah, I was just saying, like, that what is, like, he gives line readings, like, these are not great directors, right? They're, they're just, like, they, there's not a lot of trust, I think, in these, in these actors. Um, oh, well, and I, maybe not the actors, in, in Bartholomew, his page, right? This is about, and it's so weird that, again, it's like, he's talking to someone He's talking to a serving man to tell his page to dress up. It's like, does the guy have a notebook? Like, how is he going to remember all this? Having worked for some very wealthy people, I never went anywhere without a notebook because they'll just rattle off a whole bunch of things for you to do. And you have to remember what they are. So I'm just like things like this, like how, just what the sort of command structure is of this household and yeah it's it just seems like kind of a weird place some weird things are being asked of the people who work there <laughs> if that's what is a weird onion dude. In the napkin oh the <laughs> onion in the napkin oh my god i'm totally gonna use that <laughs> yeah and i guess like within it, within it if you're going if it is sort of a parody or you're having this idea of a parody and that it's funny and then it's the bad director Within, the, within that and within the speech, it's not only a delusion of grandeur or a confidence. To me, it doesn't sound like a plan that has been hatching for a long time, but actually necessarily, but maybe, but if there is, what I read is a lot of insecurity and almost mm. a kind of impulsiveness. I mean, if it is a parody and if we are talking about how it's so ridiculous that it's going on and on and it's on and on and it's on and on and all of the details, there's something in that. That's a way of being that is covering something else up. No? Yeah. So is this kind of split self. Absolutely. <laughs> this, this insecurity, this kind of insecurity. I don't know what other word it, to use. 
Totally. And it totally gives us a lot of information, if nothing else, about the Lord and the and the kind of person that he is, which is clearly like, okay, okay, everything has to be just so. Um, I, it, there is this really interesting kind of very strong homoeroticism in this this final speech too about like dress up my dress up my page and then um make sure that he's like kissing this beggar and 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 weeping on his chest and like all of this stuff it's like whoa what's and and that plus the 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 like the erotic pictures around and stuff it just seems like i i i guess like what what is motivating this and is maybe not not the question that i want to ask so much as like what is the lord getting out of this like what what is his entertainment consisting of is it watching his page kiss a man is it like like what i don't know i don't know the answer but i'm i'm throwing it out there <laughs> we, we all agreed that it was a really sketchy place to work <laughs> what are the chances so that the lord's awful. drunk himself I mean, potentially. Yeah, totally. I know living in Toronto, sometimes there's uh, working at bars. People will go at two in the morning. You say, hey, we're close to Niagara Falls. Let's just get in the car and go to the casino. It's like a few <laughs> hours away. Um, I know people in the States will do like Vegas. I've heard stories of that. It's like, I mean, what's the chance that he's coming back and then having a great time? And then, oh, this is great. OK, let's go do this. It'll be fine. I think I it's kind of interesting if the Lord kind of strikes me as one of those people who like, well, I could have always, I really wanted to be in the arts. I really wanted to direct. I, I meant to be an actor, but dang, I got too busy managing hedge funds, you know, but it, for me, it almost seems like the reason he wants Sly to be a Lord is because he secretly just kind of wants to live his life, you know, put up porn on the walls, do some avant-garde theater, turn this guy into a, you know, like it just, maybe it's an escapism, you know, he's, he just wants everybody to kind of be upside down. Does that make I sense? love the image of a hedge fund manager whose true <laughs> ambition was doing avant-garde theater, <laughs> like the Lower East Side and like a 10 I mean, seat house. Like that's the it's dream, a, it's man. It's a stretch, but in some ways, you know, I mean, oh, poor Lord, but you know, he is, he's playing his part in society as well. Yeah. So maybe it's just this, you know, turn everything upside down, you know? It also, Absolutely. it also sort of prefigures the switcheroo with, um, uh, Lo, what's the guy's name and his sir Lo, Lo, Lucentio and Tranio. Yes, right, the, you know the oh, you can be a lord in my place, and I don't know what 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 is that? What is that, and how does that tie in with the theme of the play? It's it's interesting. Well, and, and yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I get, I think again, this comes back to our theme of like status is about what's given to you and how people treat you, right? So everyone treating Tranio as the lord makes him into a high status person within this little community. And actually he sort of, I would argue, gains status as the um, whole thing goes goes on. Um, by the end, he's like sitting at the table with all the other lores and they're all like, oh, Tronio, you old so-and-so, you know? And so there's, there's a strange higher step that he takes. And then, you know, of course the, I think the highest level of that would be you know the kate and petruchio thing where they're these people who are obviously you know a match for each other in every way and they're negotiating this kind of performance where she's going to give him power by treating him a certain way right or that's what he wants her to do and well and we'll we'll totally get into because i i actually think there's like a couple strange 
strange things happening in all of those scenes um, <laughs> that we will that we'll definitely get into. Um, but so this is our first scene of the play, right? And this is called, this is not act one, scene one. This is not a prologue, having just finished editing Henry V. There's a lot of prologues and epilogues and choruses. Um, this is really unique thing um, in the Shakespeare canon, boom. And I, I think that I understand why it's cut, but I actually think that a framing device on this play reminding us that the bulk of the play is a play within a play um, somehow complicates this play in a way that I really like a lot just personally <laughs> i really like it when when plays aren't easy when you can't just go oh yeah i'm gonna go see a comedy and i'm gonna laugh it's like no no, no. like shakespeare's comedy is the only reason they're a comedy is because it ends in a marriage right that's that's the only thing that distinguishes a comedy versus a tragedy where somebody or most people die in the end but the, also the interesting and weird thing about this is this doesn't conform to the typical comedic structure right our main marriage happens in the middle of the play um and we do end with another marriage but there is just something whack about this play and its structure so i just wanted to just like flag that we're already going this is whoa this is way different um yeah grayson yeah so for me it almost seems like he wanted to do a whole play along these lines and and then he realized that and he just sort of ran out of gas and set it aside and tacked it on <laughs> yeah because we get no resolution right it's almost yeah. like this we, we need, I feel like if Brecht were to direct this play, he would totally add another scene at the end where, you know, it wraps up this whole framing device so that the, the whole time, the whole audience is like, wait, oh, I was watching someone watching a play. And I know that there have been uh, productions of this play before where Christopher Sly is like, the players are short. In the, in the theory of this play so that Christopher Sly is just like handed a script and basically has to play a billion characters. There've been a lot, there've been a couple productions that have done that. So he's yeah. like, you know, like the moment where, you know, he's playing Vincentio and Tranio and he's like, I'm gonna have to carry myself off to prison and like just playing <laughs> along with all of these like very strange concepts about how, how do you even stage this if you're if you're given a script and, and thrown away? Um, Zoe, you had your hand out. Go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to kind of jump off this theme and thinking about adaptations. My main interaction with this play has been through Kiss Me Kate, the musical. Um, and it's framed as Taming of the Shrew is the play within the play. And I never knew the induction existed. And so when doing the show, I was like, there's this whole setup with they're in a stage and there's a whole gang activity and everyone's drunk and gambling. And I was like, where did this come from? Like, I guess they made it up and turns out there's like source material for this stuff. Um, but then also framing the play within the play, I suddenly have a new idea about like all the themes that like bothered me about women being subservient to men and how this really, it's a commentary on that. And not just, this is the play. We think women are subservient to men. It's it's a play within a play. It's these characters playing with these ideas and figuring out what they think for themselves. And it's just a super interesting, my, my framing of this play and ideas behind it have just completely changed in the last like hour that we've been talking about it. Yes. 
we love it when that happens. It's so fun. <laughs> but yeah, I I think you're you're absolutely right that that, that I, I didn't even think about that, that that Kiss Me Kate is really putting Taming of the Shrew as the play within the play and that all of the surrounding, that is so interesting. So in a certain way, they did adapt that into the adaptation, which is great. That is, that's a wonderful observation. Um, shall we move on to our second induction scene? So, so now we have, I love it. We don't actually, we, we jump to Christopher Sly, like waking up in this bed or I guess in the balcony, right? Um, this would enter a loft, which would mean the balcony where Juliet would be or where Coriolanus would like climb up to and all of those moments where we, we know what the staging would be because it was the same set for every single show, right? It was two entrances, the balcony and the reveal underneath the balcony. Um, this is how every single play was staged. Uh, so poor Sly has no idea where he is and he's being followed. I, I like this idea that he's entering and there's like three people like carrying things behind him. Like I just, there's something about this play that gives me such strong, like just physical comedy vibes. Um, just like very slapstick, very like <laughs> to, quote, to quote our beloved Julia Larson, who's been in, in three of these and she was talking about a scene in Henry V, one of the sort of comedy scenes. And she was like, so I guess what you're saying is like, we could replace this with just Benny Hill and people running across the stage with the Benny Hill theme. And so I'm kind of, I'm kind of enjoying that the Benny Hill theme with like Christopher Sly running across the top of the balcony. Do 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 do. I just want to work that into a show now. Um, anyway. <laughs> Let's go right into our induction scene two. For God's sake, a pot of small ale. Will it please your lordship drink a cup of sack? Will it please your honor taste at these conserves? What raiment will your honor wear today? I am Christopher O'Sly. Call me not honor nor lordship. I never drank sack in my life, and if you give me any conserves, give me conserves of beef. They ask me what raiment I'll wear if I have no more doublets than backs. No more stockings than legs, nor no more shoes than feet. Nay, sometimes more feet than shoes, or such shoes as my toes look through the overleather. Overleather. Heavens, is this idle humor in your honor? Oh, that a mighty man of such descent, of such possessions, and so high esteem should be infused with so foul a spirit. What would you make me mad? Am I not Christopher Sly, old Sly, son of Burton Heath? By birth a peddler, by education a card maker, by transmutation a bear herd, and now by present profession a tinker. Ask Marion Hackett, the fat alewife of Wincott, if she know me not, if she say I am not fourteen pence on the score for sheer ale, score me up for the lyingest knave in Christendom. What I am not bestraught, here's... Oh, this it is that makes your lady mourn. Oh, this it is that makes your servants droop. Hence comes it that your kindred shuns your house, as beaten hence by your strange lunacy. O oh, noble lord, bethink thee of thy birth. Call home thy ancient thoughts from banishment, and banish hence these abject lowly dreams. Look how thy servants do attend on thee, each in his office ready at thy beck. Wilt thou have music? 
Hark, Apollo plays! And twenty caged nightingales do sing. Or wilt thou sleep? We'll have thee to a couch, softer and sweeter than the lustful bed on purpose trimmed up for Semiramis. There we go. Say thou wilt, say thou wilt walk. We will bestrew the ground, or wilt thou ride? Thy horses shall be trapped, their harness studded all with gold and pearl. Dost thou love hawking? Thou hast hawks will soar above the morning lark. Or wilt thou hunt? Thy hounds shall make thee welkin answer them, and fetch shrill echoes from the hollow earth. Say thou wilt course. Thy greyhounds are as swift as breathed stags, I fleeter than the roe. Dost thou love pictures? We will fetch thee straight, Adonis painted by a running brook. And how do you pronounce this name? Cytherea. Cytherea, okay. And Cytherea all in sedges hid, which seemed to move and wanton with her breath, even as the waving sedges play with the wind. We'll show thee low as she was a maid, and how she was beguiled and surprised, as lively painted as the deed was done. Or Daphne, roaming through a thorny wood, scratching her legs, that one shall swear she bleeds. And at that sight shall sad Apollo weep, so workmanly the blood and tears are drawn. Thou art a lord, and nothing but a lord. Thou hast a lady, far more beautiful than any woman in this waning age. Until the tears that she hath shed for thee, like envious floods o'errun her lovely face, she was the fairest creature in the world, and yet she is inferior to none. Am I a lord? And have I such a lady? Or do I dream? Or have I dreamed till now? I do not sleep, I see, I hear, I speak. I smell sweet savors, and I feel soft things. Upon my life, I am a lord indeed, and not a tinker nor Christopher Sly. We'll bring our lady hither to our side, and once again a pot of the smallest ale. Will it please your mightiness to wash your hands? Oh, how we joy to see your wit restored. Oh, that once more you knew but what you are. These 15 years you have been in a dream, or when you waked, so waked as if you slept. These fifteen years by my fay a goodly nap, but didn't I? But did I never speak of all that time? Oh yes, my lord, but very idle words. For though you lay here in this goodly chamber, yet would you say you were beaten out of door, and railed upon by the hostess of the house, and say you would present her at the leet because she brought stone jugs and no sealed courts. Sometimes you would call out for Cecily Hackett. I, the woman's maid of the house. Why, sir, you know no house, nor no such maid, nor no such men as you have reckoned up as Stephen Sly and old John Knapps of Greet and Peter Turf and Henry Pimpernel and twenty more such names than men as these, which never were nor no man ever saw. Now, Lord, be thanked for my good amends. Amen. Amen. I thank thee, thou shalt not lose by it. Okay, let's just pause right there. <laughs> um, this poor Christopher Sly. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, Carol, go ahead. <laughs> I, I just, I love how he goes into verse after the description of the lady. Right? I was, I was gonna say right? the same thing. <laughs> He's like, I have a lady, I must speak in verse. 
all all this stuff that he he has access to. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. But then there's this lady. <laughs> I'm not that's not a lady. And, whoa, he's in verse now. They're really <laughs> pimping out this poor page. And, and really, I just have I know. to say again, you know, what goes on in this house? Because the serving men seem pretty practiced at this kind of stuff. Is they're this so a fast. thing? <laughs> like, did they do this? Also, all like, they're pitching all this porn. Like, I know they're talking about paintings, but everything they describe is like they describe in like a very sensual way. <laughs> Absolutely, and that each one of these right is about a woman who is transformed in some way. I think that's really important, right? That I am. It is a strongly held belief for me that Shakespeare never went anywhere without his copy of Ovid's Metamorphosis because there are just references in every single play to the metamorphosis. Um, it, we even found the word metamorphosed as a verb twice in the, in the first two acts of Two Gentlemen of Verona, right? And Sylvia and Proteus and like all of these names are coming from Ovid's Metamorphosis. And that all of these all of these stories of, of, of Io, of Adonis, of Daphne are all about women who are transformed in some way by uh, some powerful god. So that's, that's, I think, also important. Yeah, Koi. This second scene, I was really struck by how the British tradition of comedy is laughing at the lower class as opposed to that European tradition of laughing at the upper class. And this is this weird mix where he's he everyone's treating him as upper class but the joke is that he is lower class mm -hmm. right and like from faulty tower like it goes back hundreds of years that the brits love laughing at the servants but the romans and the greeks they would laugh at they would be you're on the side of the servants laughing at the upper class i just i, I don't know it kind of struck me listening to this of like oh yeah the joke is that he's a lower class guy and everyone's kind of like <laughs> he has no idea he's too stupid to figure it out hmm mm -hmm. Yeah, Morgan. I'm struck dumb for most of the scene. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. No worries. No worries. Yeah, it's it's funny because this isn't the first time. Like, I, I feel like we've seen a number of stories where um, the upper class is thoroughly humored by the idea of domesticating the lower class in some way, or like taming the wild and and like trading places, like right, my, with Dan Aykroyd and like Eddie Murphy. Oh yeah, but, I... oh, sorry. like um, I'm I'm thinking of like Pygmalion and My Fair Lady. Henry Higgins is like, oh, this girl, I'll show you. I can turn, I can make you all think that she's this classy lady. Ha <laughs> ha! I did it. Look at me. Um, am I daft, or but to ask the question of why doesn't Sly know that he's the Lord, or is Sly the Lord, or? No, no, not at all. Um, that's a great question. I mean, so we just got from okay. the, the not very in there, top. Okay. No, no, we just got from the very top. We got Sly yelling at this hostess saying, I beat you, and then falling asleep. And then the Lord coming across and being like, aha, this beggar, let's put him in my bed, put porn around him and pretend he's a Lord. Hooray, fun. Right. It's, it's like, and so Sly, Thank I think you, I- Who needs smart notes now? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I feel like Koi, you're, you're the black mirror thing of like Sly is going through a like, what is my reality? Like, have I, have I been dreaming? Because everyone is telling you that you're, you know, wow, this is like bringing me back to my, 
this class I took when I was a freshman in high school, where we were examining a whole bunch of different philosophies. And one of them was this, the umphalos argument, right? Which is Latin for navel, right? Did Adam have a navel is the, is the, is the question that, that how, how did the first, how did the first person exist? Um, and, and also how, how do we all know that all of our life experience up until now was not just programmed into our brain, right? It gets into it, it which- well, How do you know that like, any moment before the present was real? Yes, like That's the philosophical exactly, question. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, the matrix makes a meal out of this, right? In a really interesting way. And there's, there's a lot of sort of pop, it, you know, sci-fi takes us to, to some really interesting extremes. But I think in, in this sense, this is the question we're exploring for Sly. Like, how does he know that he's not, He's also probably super hungover too. So I know when I'm hungover and I have a headache, I don't know who I am or where I am frequently. Um, I do like fitting it into the lens that Will was talking about though, which is that, you know, reality is essentially something that we've all agreed upon, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. So it is, it's unbelievable, but with kind of with that in mind and just thinking of like, yeah, the overarching themes and stuff like that, it is just, it's just really fascinating to think that, yeah, you know what, half of it, he's not as crazy if he, I'm not questioning his sanity as much now that he's put that in my mind, because it's like, yeah, if the entire world is treating you as such, then you'd have to be crazy in some sense to go against it, you know, regardless yeah. of what's true. Everyone is subscribing to this particular reality. Also that, that that's also, the way it is. Yeah. Sorry. Also that, um, yeah, in some ways, Sly is being kicked around like the soccer ball. Like in some ways, Sly is the woman that, like, if we're going back to that again, like Sly is the woman that's being kind of like passed around. And even, but what's funny about it is it's like degrading, as was said. But in fact, it's a treat. So mm-hmm. what's the the same way yeah. that like a husband, a husband, it's also degrading, also a treat. I don't know. I like- no, it makes sense because, yeah, he's getting to be a lord, but at the same time, like, he's not in control of it. And you think probably at the time, like, a wife's, you know, greatest is just to get into a good fit. Well, I guess it's a little different because she's got some money. But you know what I mean? It's just the whole idea is like, oh, well, you should be happy because why wouldn't you be happy is an interesting concept. It's so funny to me that Sly never, like, the pin never drops. Like Ari was saying, there's no end to the frame. So he never, you never see him realize that he's not a Lord. Like he, we leave him still believing that this is just how life is now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and, and I, I wonder if we can extrapolate from that when we get to the end of the play, I'm just going to like write down a note for myself that like, what is Catherine sort of going on a similar journey? Like, is her reality so shifted by the end of the play that she actually doesn't know, she doesn't, a similar reality shift in terms of like who she is and where she is and what her position is and how she's treated, right? Um, it, it's just an interesting interesting thing to, to, to keep an eye on. We now also, oh yeah, Grayson, please go ahead. I mean, this is sort of a minor point, but just in terms of dramatic pacing, I mean, there's so many lines to the Lord, and right about the time you think he's a windbag, then all of a sudden you have a serviceman, a serviceman, so it really picks up. It's quite quite effective, I think, dramatically. Um, they really seem to be working as a team 
the serving men and the Lord. And that's the other thing I, that I, I wanted to point out is that I'm assuming that the Lord is also dressed up as a servant here, right? So that there's yet again, another, yet another person is pretending to be something that he is not right. Which we are going to get from literally the first scene of the play, right? Mm-hmm. Lucentio and, or Lucentio and Tranio switching costumes, right? And then Biandello coming in and being like, I have no idea who you are because you've switched clothes, which is like my favorite Shakespeare trope. Maybe <laughs> he has face blindness. on a hood and no one knows who I am. It's amazing. <laughs> um. So, so something else just occurred to me that's cool is that the servants are also, like you're saying, they're all in on this together and they're all sort of at the same level. So the servants are also kind of switching places a little bit here because like the servants speak the same level of poetry that the lord does which normally doesn't happen like there's this very clear class delineation with shakespeare and how they speak and in this like the servants are just able to sort of step into this new world where they can just like speak all this poetry and whatever and it just seems like kind of a shift for them too i don't know absolutely well and that it's like everyone has clearly read the metamorphosis (laughs) they're all just like oh yes i owe my favorite daphne oh good old daphne um (laughs) and then we're gonna have yet another person come in and pretend to be something that he is not right here we have our page coming in and uh pretending bartholomew the page is pretending to be a lady um, which also just is extraordinary when we think about the fact that these plays would all be performed by men, right? So they always would, the male, the women would always be played by men. But this idea that we're like finding humor in a man playing a woman before the rest of the play starts is like a, it's like revealing the trick almost before it happens. There's something really metatheatrical about this introduction to this other man playing a woman in this, in this moment that it's written into the plot, you know, anyway. Um, Also pretty rare that a male character dresses as a woman in Shakespeare. Just wanted to point that out too. It's very common for female characters to dress as male, but very uncommon for a male character to dress as a woman. I, in fact, I can't think of any other those female um, costumes are expensive, yes, so you minimize so that expensive. in your script. <laughs> <laughs> in Midsummer, I think. Midsummer? I think. I think yes. Yeah, one of the um, mechanical. Thisby. That's right. That's right. Thisby. Thisby. Um, flute, right? Francis Flute, the bellows mender. Sounds right. So yep. cute. Um, great. Yes. But always it's in We Know right when the men are playing women we're in on the joke every time um even though there are also female characters that are played by men in those plays as well uh or or they would have been in the original practice um so let's get into this the end of the induction scene too so in comes bartholomew dressed as a lady how fares my noble lord mary i fare well for here is cheer enough where is my wife here, noble lord, what is thy will with her? Are you my wife and will not call me husband? My men should call me lord, I am your good man. 
My husband and my lord, my lord and husband, I am your wife in all obedience. I know it well. What must I call her? Madam. <laughs> Alice, madam, or Joan, madam? Madam, and nothing else. So lords call ladies. Madam wife, they say that I have dreamed and slept above some fifteen year or more. Ay, and the time seems thirty unto me, being all this time abandoned from your bed. Tis much. Servants, leave me and her alone. Madam, undress you and come to now to bed. <laughs> Thrice noble lord, let me entreat of you to pardon me yet for a night or two, or if not so, until the sun be set. For your physicians have expressly charged in peril to incur your former malady that I should yet absent me from your bed. I hope this reason stands for my excuse. Aye, it stands so that I may hardly tarry so long, but I would be loath to fall into my dreams again. I will therefore tarry in despite of the flesh and the blood. Your honors players, heeding your amendment, are come to play a pleasant comedy. For so your doctors hold it very meet, seeing too much sadness hath congealed your blood, and melancholy is the nurse of frenzy. Therefore they thought it good you hear a play, and frame your mind to mirth and merriment, which bars a thousand harms and lengthens life. Mary, I will. Let them play. Is it not a common tea, a Christmas gamble, or a tumbling trick? No, my good lord, it is more pleasing stuff. What, household stuff? It is a kind of history. Well, well, see it. And Madam Wife, sit by my side and let the world slip. We shall ne'er be younger. Okay. Was the page ready for that that uh, deflection? I'm really interested. That that is so right. Like he he handles it so well. He's like, oh shit, I'm not actually gonna sleep <laughs> with this guy. Um, <laughs> the doctors said to wait a couple days or to sunset. Uh, some stuff. Yeah, something like that. Um, a day that so. doesn't end in Y. <laughs> got a um, oh 14 year old boy playing Paige's lady and his voice is slipping and so he keeps it up there for the lady and then when he starts protesting his voice just tends <laughs> oh, that's adorable man I love that they like just forgot to give him a name too so he's like is her name Alice or Joan they're like just <laughs> Adam. Madam Adam is the they way to go through everything <laughs> else He's like, I know, but what's her name? <laughs> and just Alice and Joan, like, were those just the only names he could remember from the night before? That, that's it. <laughs> those are the only names that he could think of. Um. <laughs> well, there's, there's, a, there's a great line in um, at the beginning of King John where the bastard, Philip Falconbridge, right, has been made a uh, knight now. And he's... Um, and now he, and he turns to the audience and he has his first thing and he says, well, now I can make any Joan a lady, right? And Joan was like a, a, a name, but also a term for like a country lass kind of, oh. kind of feeling. I feel like both of these are like. Like a Karen, but a Joan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Just like we take a name and we make it mean like an archetype or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. What absolutely. What kind of meaning did Alice have? Um. From the notes that I have, just that they were very common names for like girls from the country, mm -hmm. like that they were just, yeah, like Alice and Joan and 
Alice and Joan and Anne. Um, <laughs> uh alice but i love that alice madam and joan madam you know like um i guess that's the and that's probably the joke that probably a lady would not be named alice or joan (laughs) she would probably be named elizabeth hooray elizabeth (laughs) yeah um love that that, uh slides like i just learned like you know five minutes ago that I'm a Lord and I've been insane for 15 years. Let's do it. I <laughs> I, I, and, and just the madam undress you and come now to bed. Yeah, Just like get naked. Let's go. And the fact that the players did not, you know, what was their plan? I think was a question that was asked earlier. And now I'm asking it once again, what was, what were they thinking was going to happen here when uh, everybody dressed the part, you know? Well, and there's yeah, and- a question of how convincing is the page as as a woman. Like, if he's got a beard and the guy takes off his clothes, and let's like that. There's humor in that. <laughs> I like what what is household stuff, and why is it why is oh, that the yeah. first thing that comes to mind with more pleasing? It's like, well, oh, okay, it's, uh, it's, it's household stuff then. Must be. So pleasing stuff. Stuff here would mean like uh, it, it's it's. So the page is saying, oh no, it's like really great it's going to be a great play. It's going to be a great composition. And Christopher's like household stuff, which just means like movable property, right? Like couches and and chairs and things. He's like, we're going to be looking at furniture. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's no, no, it's, it's a story. It's a story. Okay. (laughs) Um, But yeah. And the common tea, um, the Christmas comedy. gamble. I about that already. Yeah, comedy instead of comedy, yeah. right? Because he just, he isn't familiar, right? He hasn't been to a lot of plays. Um, but then there's also, there's also a, a, a pun on stands, right? Um, that the page says, uh, I hope this reason stands for my excuse. Will like stand in for my excuse? And then you're like, yeah, it stands so that I can hardly tarry long. Uh, you know, like dick jokes. Um <laughs> Because it wouldn't be a Shakespeare play without a dick joke in the first couple of scenes. Um, Yeah. So this is the setup to the beginning of the play. Thoughts? (laughs) Was there ever, has there ever amongst, you know, historians or people more educated on this than I, was there ever... um a suggestion that there was a final scene that like, you know, was a book into this that got lost or just, you know, whatever. This is a hotly debated thing, subject really. Um, They don't know. There's a lot of theories that because we even get a little bit, I believe it's at the end of act one, scene one, um, just a little bit with the serving man and and Sly and the, the page um a commentary on the first scene but then we never hear from them again that perhaps there is something missing i also think that there is a possibility in my mind that the idea is that we lose ourselves in the story right the idea is that we we forget it's a play and that's part of the sort of immersion process um I also really like the interpretation that the <laughs> um, 
it was I, I was reading about a student production where they where they had the the Christopher Sly was like we're a couple actors short the, these players so they just shove some scripts pages into his hand and they're like you read these ones and then he has to run through the play sort of trying to balance all of these different um characters and playing more people who he isn't and continuing so that that theme continues through the entire play yeah I mean I guess as rewarding as it might be to have that end and to kind of really have some answers that's more appealing of course for the curtain to fall and you to be there like what and then to turn to your friend and be like well no, I took it this way and then you walk out of the theater having those conversations so hmm. yeah yeah. It's also weird that like of all the plays within a play, this one is the only one that isn't like really self-consciously theatrical in some way. Like the the Taming of the Shrew, the play within the play, you know, could be and is usually performed without the frame narrative as just a play by William Shakespeare. Whereas in, you know, Hamlet or Midsummer Night's Dream, it's very like a, it's very different from the play that it's in right so yeah. i think i think it seems likely that he did want you to just sort of forget that it's a play within a play or that he just flaked out on the whole frame narrative idea and <laughs> like, or like packed it on at the end maybe like i thought that when i first read this like he wrote the play and then for whatever reason like because of where they were going to perform it or when they were going to perform it or who was going to be there or something they were like oh let's put a little scene at the beginning maybe to give a part to some actor who didn't have a part or something and he just sort of like tacked it on like it feels <laughs> that way, right? i mean it almost I feels like the players so the play within the play the actual taming of the shrew it almost feels like an extension of their like prank on sly yeah. and so as sly loses his reality so does the audience mm. are we still in the play within the play or is this play now actually reality i like that a lot mm -hmm. yeah in that i like that a lot also and i kind of think of the beginning as not a mistake at all but kind of that feeling of like the conversation that you have the conversation that you overhear on the street before you go into the play and how that story affects you and maybe you forget it but in this case it's being, a light is being shown on it, no. Like it can be very dispersed, but also have a large effect on the way that we experience it, no? That somehow it's like we're inside and outside at the same time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and that it set up, I mean, it did its job, which is essentially to set up a lot of themes that we're going to keep continuing exploring. Go ahead, Allie, yeah. Um, I, I've been trying to think this through, and so this might be a bit of a jumbled mess, but um, I think it's interesting how much it mirrors everything in the, the main part of the show that we've talked about, but that in this case, you know, all but one of the characters are pretty low class. They're all servants, hostess, hunters, mm -hmm. um, and so I wonder if that ties into all the thematic elements of power and the exchange of power and that like the things that are happening as a result of these kinds of exchanges and relationships in the like elevated like theatrical play with the nobles also happens with people of the lower class yes absolutely i think that's i think that's really really smart and i think that some of their we are made aware that all the actors are of the lower class with their entrance 
in Mm. the induction, right? So that we're aware that all of the characters that we're going to see on stage, every single actor, with the exception, I guess, of the Lord, but the Lord dresses as a servant at one point, that everyone is pretending, right? Everyone is pretending to be something that they aren't. Um, And this was one of the reasons that the Puritans really hated theater, right? And they were very anti-theater during this time was they don't like it when sexuality, when gender, when social class, when all of these things are up for grabs and anyone can play, the beggar plays the king, right? Quite literally, we get that in this first part. And that as a lot of repressive governments have discovered like one of the first things that happens is the arts get shut down and censored right because the possibility in theater of societies changing and people able to play something other than the role that is assigned by them to society from their birth that's a dangerous idea um and that has consistently be been something that um has had to be monitored, right? There was a censor in England through the 1950s for the theater. Like it's crazy how contemporary getting rid of people who had to read every play that was gonna be performed and then censoring it is. Um, Coy, go ahead. Uh, Just to jump on the back of that, um, France banned Coriolanus in the 1930s because it was too fascist. Um, But I was wondering where this fits in the chronology of this play, because I'm, I've been trying to think about the other plays where he either starts or ends a piece w- with acknowledging that that this is a play. Um, like Midsummer Night's Dream, you have Puck kind of end it. Uh, Henry V starts with like, let's imagine this is a battlefield stuff. But, I, I, is, but this is interesting because it's not directly addressing the audience. It's, it's, it's a, it is this, narrative that's nestled within so he's not he's not breaking the fourth wall to kind of say now we will do this thing so i guess is it i'm wondering like is it did he write this before henry v and midsummer or is it kind of where is it fit there because rnj also acknowledges that it's a play at the beginning and then i think that's not written by shakespeare though that entrance on the the prologue prologue yeah Yeah, the prologue is not in the folio. The prologue to Romeo and Juliet is not in the folio, which is interesting, right? Um, That this sonnet was just like added potentially by somebody. But um, I'm just going off of this is from shout out to Shakespeare's words, friend of the pod, uh, website run by David and Ben Crystal. Taming of the Shrew scholars uh, place it around 1590 to 1593. So this is one of the earlier... Um, plays just to give you a sense like uh, Henry V probably around 1599 so a full six to nine years later Um, Midsummer probably 1594-95 and Two Gents 89 to 93 so this is around and, and Comedy of Errors is also in this thing this is actually why I'm I'm doing all of these early comedies right now um these are some of this. This is clearly one of the first plays that Shakespeare wrote. There's, there's nobody really understands or has figured out exactly which one, but I would say this is one of the first five plays that Shakespeare most likely wrote. So are this you, is still early. Yeah. Do you know anything about source material for this? Because I know a lot of the early plays, well, most of the plays in general were based on other stories from Commedia dell'arte or whatever. Do you know anything about this? Yes, I do. Oh my God. 
I should have. I got my Norton. The Wikipedia article, and it was taught, it was a quite an extensive Wikipedia article for a Shakespeare play, and it was talking about another play, like it was, it was talking about A Shrew versus D Shrew and how they informed each other. And that's all I saw. I have nothing to offer besides that <laughs> as to what it actually meant. Yeah. Is that talking about the folio versus the cordo or were No, the- no, 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 not folio. There was versus another cordo, play that was written probably after this play called The Taming of A Shrew. Um, that was like took elements of the frame narrative and put them in. But um, I did just want to throw this in. <laughs> um, I have here uh, the Norton critical edition for Taming of the Shrew, which they always include um, sources and context as part of the thing. So in here, they have Ovid from Metamorphosis, right? Of course. Um, uh, writing by George, I don't know how to pronounce this last name, G-A-S-C-O-I-G-N-E, um, called Supposes, and an anonymous from a merry jest of a shrewd and cursed wife lapped in moral skin for her good behavior. Oh, yeah. Put that like, on a license plate. Okay. Um, so there, and I was just in the middle of reading some of these critical essays but um the merry jest of a shrewd and cursed wife is like a long poem um and an anonymous long poem and then there's this the the supposes is like a a little play as well um and then the metamorphosis from ava the ovid um there's apollo and daphne and um jove and io and Ari, just to interrupt you, this guy, yeah. George Gascoigne or whatever is, yeah, is this yeah. guy? Sorry, I don't Wikipedia Wikipedia lists him as an English poet, soldier, and unsuccessful courtier. There you go. <laughs> burn! Important, important burn. Um, yeah, but, but just to say that I think from what I've read, there is not like a cohesive, like, aha, he stole the story entirely from this one source. Um, this this play is a little bit more difficult to sort of trace where the source is coming from, which is also kind of well. Some sense. of the more interesting plays are ones that he he wrote more of it himself, or you know he came up with the yeah. story more substantially himself, and that's cool that this is one of them. Yeah, I mean, definitely, it's also coming out of uh, a whole tradition of comic plays about taming wives you know usually very violently um so i think it's interesting that this one as we'll see i think it's really important no one ever and i'm just gonna say this now no one ever hits kate no one hits kate in this play and i think that's really really important kate hits three people in this play nobody hits her I just want to put that out there as w- before we even get into the thing. I think that's a really, really, really important thing that um, sometimes we can overlook. Um, yeah. There- in the staging, a lot of people add a lot of sort of wrestling and beating up that's not at all written into it. Exactly. And strikes him, strikes her are clearly written in the folio. Once she hits Bianca, she hits Petruchio, and she hits Grumio. Um, and those are actually written in as stage directions. And I don't believe, 
Petruchio hits the servants, but he never ever is it written in that he lays a hand on her. And I think that's really, really important to our understanding of their relationship as we as we go further along into it. Um, were there any sort of final thoughts on the induction? I thought um, it is a kind of history. Yeah. It was a, an interesting final little like if you didn't get the meta theatricality yeah. here it is um and the, the whole thing is just really interesting um I'm looking forward to see how it seeing how it changes my um understanding of the rest of the show yeah yeah I me too I'm I'm really excited just because I I just until I was preparing for this I just I didn't even know it was there you know, because no, I've never seen it performed before. So I'm, I, I'm really thrilled. I feel like we got this little bonus info on the play from this induction. Carol, did you have something too? Yeah, they're tiny little pronunciation notes. Um, oh, great. Oh, IO. IO, um, right. Not, right. Not low. Um, and I think it's Christophero when you put the end at the end, the O at the end. Christophero. Mustafaro Sly, Mustafalis. I feel like he should be named. Is he like going Italian there for a minute? I don't. I don't know what that's about. Well, and nobody knows where this tavern is. Some people think that it's Stratford, that he's outside a tavern in Stratford upon Avon, and some people think no, no, he's outside a tavern in Padua. Um, So there's there's a lot of. uh... I have to be honest. I didn't realize it was induction until we started the session. I read it as introduction because I just skimmed it, I suppose. <laughs> and induction, I, I don't know what it is. The process of, of, of comes from the Latin. Rise to something is yeah. the definition. You induce labor. Yeah. It's Latin yeah. to lead. Inducere or inducere. Oh, that reminds yeah. me of a question on that little pau, paucas palabres. Right, yes. Um, it's a corruption of Spanish. <laughs> ah, it's not even uh, Latin. I was like, it didn't. Few words. Palabras. Um, yeah, like, I think it would be like pocos palabras or pocas palabras, but he pocas He probably palabras, doesn't say it right. <laughs> right? Right, right. Like, it's like, like Richard Conqueror, right? Richard the Lionheart, yeah. William the Conqueror just <laughs> smushed into one thing. So again, like Ooh. we're, there's a lot of things that are stated that are not true, <laughs> which is, I think, something important that everyone's a bit unreliable. Well, and induction. twice Sly says, uh, so he first he says, let the world slide. And then at the end of the induction, he says, let the world slip. Yes. And slip here, like meaning to glide, <laughs> which is which is interesting. Uh, kind of the, let the world go around. I kind of take that, and and I'm also hearing Festy, the whirly gig of time, bringing in his revenges. Right, I I feel like we're we're gonna we're gonna watch time bring in his revenges in a, in a big way in this play. Um, well, thank you all so much. 